0: And there will also be nervousness. In fact, I know there's a tension in Jeremy Corbyn's team about opening themselves up to the accusation that they're in cahoots with Romaniacs who want to delay Brexit and make it go away.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Plan B edition of Bermaniacs, a completely new podcast that you've not heard before. My name's Lorian Dinsky. By the way, it is good to see the Times and the Telegraph and much of Twitter picking up our moustache and glasses gag and running with it. It feels like we've finally made some contribution to the national culture. This week, Brexit rancor hit my daughter's school. She had a round with a Brexty classmate that I will call Danny, because it's probably legally suspect to actually name him. After a lively exchange of views, Danny snapped, only posh people like politics anyway. My daughter replied, Danny, nobody likes politics. <laughs> Which is true, but we do like talking about how much we don't like it. And joining me to examine another week in national purgatory are two of our regulars. Commentator, actor, singer-cook, and as we discovered last time he was on, trained sailor. <laughs> Every time he appears, he just adds another string to his bow. Hello, Alex. Surely that should be Blex. I mean... <laughs> oh, <laughs> Blex. Yeah. Blex. Bndrell, surely. <laughs> How, how are you feeling about the uh, May pulling the £65 charge to apply for settled status? That I felt feel like good about
2: it. Yeah, I think it's a, it's the right gesture to make. Yeah, completely. Praise her.
1: Uh, you were you were less impressed this week with BBC News 24 discussing the settled status scheme without a single EU27 migrant on the panel. Because who it, needs to hear from
2: them? Without a single anything on the panel, to be <laughs> honest. It was just, you know, four white English people uh and the subject wasn't what what do you think of the the fee as political commentators the subject was how do eu27 migrants feel about the settled status scheme and all four of them had very definitive takes as to how eu27 migrants feel about it. And I thought the the discussion might have been enriched by an actual EU27 migrant. But as I was told afterwards, the partner of one is an EU27 migrant, um, albeit they already have British citizenship some years ago. And apparently that entitles them to say that they think the £65 fee is terribly reasonable.
1: It's like one of those business panels where they get white men to discuss diversity.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and and the point is, I don't think they would do that anymore in that kind of programme. I think if one of their slated subject was trans rights, they would make sure that community was represented. I see it a lot with EU 27 migrants really were quite absent from the debate in big flagship programmes like Newsnight and and uh, Politics Live, uh, I think there should be more. As for UK people living in the EU, they're completely whitewashed from the, from the entire debate. You never get to hear from them.
1: Also with well, us is Ingrid Oliver, actor, comedian, writer and director. Hello, Ingrid. How are you?
0: Um, I'm surprisingly calm and zen today. To be honest, <laughs> as one of our
1: semi-German regulars, you were moved by the letter to the Times from a spread of big fingers from Germany, from their probable next chancellor to their definite former national goalkeeper. Um, a bit, that letter seemed to go viral. Uh, tell us why.
0: Yeah, I lo- do. You know, what? I love that letter, and I don't know why the goalkeeper particularly. It. I was I was sort of holding it together, and then I got to the goalkeeper. And I was like, "Oh, bless him!" I don't. And my 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 boyfriend's an Arsenal supporter, so he that's that's the thing that really re- he related to that bit. Um, I. Yeah, do you know what? It, was, it reminded me when, when all those actors sent letters to uh, Scotland just before their referendum going, guys, we love you. Come on, man. Don't do this. Uh, but that was before the referendum. So it wasn't too late, uh, sadly. Um, so while it was welcome and lovely and far more than we deserve, uh, it's sadly, I think, too late.
1: It's not just Plan B that's wearing a cunning disguise this week. We have a mystery special guest. Uh, Steve Analyst is the popular super tweeter and twisted thread starter known for such hits as Hello United Kingdom, it's the United States of America here and we need to talk. He's a trade nerd and a regular on our podcasting brothers Cakewatch. Hello Steve, welcome to Romaniacs. Uh, hello, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, is Steve Analyst your rap name? Like Lil Peoples Vote or BrexXX Tentacion? I'm not even sure what rap is. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you like to why do you like to stay anonymous?
3: Well, it's it's cuz I own a company and um, it's it's my my home address is registered. <laughs> so actually if you just type my name into Google it just comes up with my address and, and <laughs> that sort of thing sort of puts me off. <laughs> That's
1: great though, transparency, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could get fun visitors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. How did you end up devoting your uh a synonymous life to covering the slow-mo disaster of Brexit. It
3: was sort of by accident. Um, my business I was starting to wind my business down. Um, I, went, uh, I wrote, hello, United Kingdom. It went viral. Um, I then didn't speak to anyone, and then I, I was meeting up with a friend of mine who was Dutch coming back from working at Google. Because of Brexit, he, had to, he, he thinks of Britain as his home, and he had to literally move his family back to Britain so that he was in Britain, so he knew what would happen, and so he was here and have a chance to, to, to do what he needed to do. Um, and he was setting up a company, and we, we sat down and we talked, and I said, um, we said, look, should we work together on this? Because I've, I'm just closing my down, I've still got some money in my business, should we put it together? And um, he said, uh, we, we we worked out that actually, no, I, I knew nothing of what he needed. Um, and then I said, look, this happened to me. This first person I spoke to and said, look, I, I haven't spoken to anybody, this happened to me. I've got suddenly all these followers, I've no idea what I'm doing. And he said, just shut the business down and work on this um, and that's so that's what I do you know I, I mean the business is still running but it's you know it's effectively not doing anything um, and yeah so this is this is now what I've been doing must
1: like the British government yeah <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah yeah so uh, so yeah hopefully come March I'll get a job and start making some money again I'm, I'm, I'm literally living off my the redundancy that I got that made me start my business in the first place. There's not a lot of money in Twitter threads, is there? No, <laughs> you no. Know I've you know what? I've, I've I've made practically nothing. I think you need to become an Instagram influencer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I have no I actually I've had invites. I've had somebody um, when I did the Australia thread. I had somebody that was a we can pay you to influence. And they, they said, can you contact us? And it's like, no. I, 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 as soon as I do that, integrity goes out the window and I, and I start losing what my voice. What does a
0: Remainer influencer on Instagram look like? Is that sort of beach shots draped in an EU flag? <laughs> selling our Romaniacs Leaf- mugs? Leaping through a thick
1: folder of trade documents on a <laughs> yeah. yeah. With the a filter. Same person selling Prozac? Just, <laughs> just an idea I'll tell you what the Remainer Fire Festival would have been very well organised <laughs> but almost tediously well organised <laughs> <laughs> almost certainly uh, we're going to get right into plan air quotes B close air quotes in a minute but first because he's going to be taking a short break from the show after this week here are the reminders from Alex Delete everything on your phone. We're starting
2: a brand new spin-off podcast. There's never enough time to answer all your questions when we do a semi-regular Ask Remaniacs bit, so we are turning it into its very own show, like Bake Off, The Professionals, or The Only Way, Strasbourg. (laughs) And it's coming out every month. You will only be able to get Ask Remaniacs via Patreon crowdfunder, and because it will cost us a little more to produce, it's going to everyone on the $5 a month tier and upwards. So if you're not backing us on Patreon yet, now's a good time to start. And if you're on the $2 tier, why not give yourself an executive upgrade? Oh, I made that sound dirty. <laughs> Give yourself an executive so like upgrade. sir like an executive <laughs> Get access to the new Ask Remaniacs show. And, and, of course, we will send you the infamous Remaniacs coffee mug, perfect for drinking lattes, cortados and other dangerously cosmopolitan hot drinks, among other lovely benefits. We're recording part one of the first Ask Remaniacs special right after the show and part two next week. So search Patreon Remaniacs or go to our Facebook page to find out how to sign up and send in your questions. Meanwhile, there are exactly 22 tickets left for our next Remaniacs Live at the Leicester Square Theatre in London on Thursday the 7th of February with special guest David Schneider. Patreon backers get a discount on tickets, of course, but you'll have to be quick. They're on sale at leicestersquaretheatre.com. And you can search Patreon Remaniacs or go to our Facebook page to find out more about the Ask Remaniacs special.
1: OK, we were joking last week when we said Theresa May would just bring her deal back to the Commons with a lick of paint, but that's exactly what she did. Despite the most resounding defeat in parliamentary history, the May deal is back, back, back in the House, and the Prime Minister says she is exploring amendments, especially to the Irish backstop. Alice, is, is there any way that this is not just taking the piss? Uh, I don't... I mean, there is some movement... Mm. Um, And I think
2: uh, uh, people who exclude the possibility she might actually finally get the deal through are, you know, I think there is a chance. I think that as the deadline gets closer, I think ERG people uh, will swing behind it because every time there's a motion that sort of makes extending Article 50 or you know, Parliament interfering, possible in some way, I think the Brexiters will s- get spooked and swing beh- behind the deal. She will come back with something from Brussels, some sort of letter maybe a five-year or ten-year limit. I predicted that a couple of right, months ago. Okay. That there's probably something has been agreed, but they're waiting for the right moment to produce it so she can wave a paper in Parliament saying, look, they've said it's only for ten years or whatever. But do you
1: think the ticking clock is having more effect than, the, uh, than actually what she's going to bring back?
2: Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and also the moves in Parliament by Remain Friendly People... I think they're they're the ones that are having a big effect but there's, I mean you know, there's nothing we we can do differently because now is the time to act for both sides.
1: And she floated the idea of a bilateral negotiation with Ireland over the backstop uh, knowing that Ireland can't uh, negotiate independently.
2: Yeah, in the same way she invited Jeremy Corbyn to ten Downing Street knowing that she wasn't willing to give anything on her red lines because it's just a, a, a ploy to make the other the other side look unreasonable to say look they're we're offering them something but they're just not playing
1: ball ingrid may just won't quit uh despite being defeated on historic scale she just kind of keeps carrying on um is this uh is this admirable in any sense or just a pure obstinacy
0: i mean listen that i think you know people saying that she went away when she came back a week later with exactly the same deal i'm not sure what people are expecting in all honesty there was no way she was going to come back with a fully formed plan b that was completely different to plan a it was always going to be this is going to be an ongoing process um there are no easy solutions and it's and it's very easy to go you know we make we make jokes about it because you know part that's what that's partly what this podcast does we're trying to make light of uh, things that are very serious and but what i don't we shouldn't feed into that sort of uh, narrative of everything she does and everything every, everything the other side is doing is total bullshit and nonsense, and we know better because it's know, man. It's a good narrative. It's, it's a ser- great. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure. Served us well. It's worked, has it? <laughs> um, I think specific, de- definitively it hasn't. Um, well, it served me well because I, I can feel I can feel very smug when I go to the pub. Um, but I, yeah, I'm slightly. I would rather that she was doing what she was doing than walking away like some people. Uh, in the past have done um, I don't agree with her strategy but that's I'd rather she stayed in place while we work out what, what the what the other strategy is going to be yeah it'll be interesting to see what, it'll be interesting to see all these amendments that we're going to be talking about later uh, oh, yeah. coming up what, what that will give us space to do
1: and Steve last week when, when the uh, deal was defeated we were saying that her kind of her strategy of telling of um, sort of threatening remain rebels with no deal and then ERG people with no Brexit, you know, obviously sort of hadn't hadn't worked. But now it seems like do you think as we get closer to March 29th, that that might actually kind of spook people on either side into kind of um, going for whatever she has and just using whatever small changes she makes as their excuse?
3: Yeah. And I think um I think if you look at the amendments that have been proposed, they're all back remains. So I think that in terms of the the levers don't seem to be having the levers literally have like we need to re- we need to change the date of the bat stop we need a- we need this to be temporary and that's literally as much as they've got um and, and actually that isn't much that's not much to get past for them and so i think that leavers are in a position to do this and i think remainers will will sit, will essentially fall in behind the leavers that can get past the idea that actually the bat stop is there for a reason um and i think that common sense might, oh God, I can't believe I'm saying this I actually believe common <laughs> sense might prevail Hooray. on that one um, but that assumes common sense and, and so maybe that's not going to happen and, and, and something other mental thing happens but um, yeah I think that certainly Remain, Remain seem to have the initiative here um, and I think that will make Leave move and then I think that the common sense of the Remain as we get closer to yeah. the,
1: the deadline will then make them fall in line and so, therefore, by doing the better that Remainers do, the more likely they are to make people fall into line behind her deal. I think so.
0: Do we think, think Labour's going to go with that? Do we think there's gonna, they're going to get enough votes on the for, other side for, for the fair deal to pass? I just don't see that. I, I don't, don't see how that's I don't know. It, yeah.
2: Because it depends so heavily, as we, we'll talk later about each amendment, but yeah. it depends so heavily on the running order of things. yeah. E- effectively, it will be the last option standing that will get the most traction. Mm. So the order in which the Speaker selects the amendment is
3: absolute key. Um, if Yvette Cooper's amendment goes through, then that effectively creates time. Well, it's theoretical time, but it's, if, it, if we don't have that, if we don't have a position where we are looking at extending or or revoking or whatever, then whoever whoever does not vote for the deal will be responsible for no deal. No deal yeah. That's the problem. So mm-hmm. it, it stops being the Conservative Party and it will be yeah. the Labour Party stopped this and made this go to no deal when the Conservative Party were trying to get the deal through. That's what that's what that's going to come down to if it comes down to that late. Mm. So mm. These, these amendments are actually quite important um, to get through, hopefully.
1: Well, the vote's on Tuesday and so far we've got a... a th- Four particularly significant amendments. Let's try and unpack them. Uh, amendment E is the big one. It's vet Cooper's, and it's simply aimed at preventing No Deal in March. If there's No Deal, if No Deal has been agreed by the end of February, there's a vote on extending Article Fifty. Um, this amendment is expected to pass, and John McDonald talked favourably about this on Wednesday morning, just before we recorded it. Um, do we think Labour will whip its MPs to? To back it.
2: Those are the noises they were making last night and this morning. John McDonnell was saying it was a very sensible amendment, and uh, now whether they will sort of openly support it or simply get the whips to tell their MPs behind the scenes just nod that in, I don't know. The Vet Cooper amendment is hugely significant for another reason, a, a, a technical reason. It is the one that allows parliament to put down legislation if there's no deal by the uh, end of February, I think it says. Uh, And that is significant. All the others are motions which effectively the government can abide by or ignore. The Yvette Cooper uh, motion gives parliament the power to put down legislation and vote for it. And so that's why it's hugely significant. Now,
1: one... um so the unintended consequence of this, as Ian Wishart at Bloomberg warned, that the delay would mean we would therefore vote in the 2019 European elections, uh, which may result in a kind of uh, petulantly electing a load of UKIPers. Uh, Steve, I mean, UKIP's not in, a, it's not in a great way at the moment. I think it's, well, I think we're... But could that revive it? Yeah, I think that they'll do very
3: well. Um, because people, the, the, the people that will want to vote, Will quite happily go out and put their vote on a UKIP box. I think there's people that wouldn't vote for UKIP in uh, for their MP that would definitely vote for it in the European Parliament. But um, so what? That's democracy, and um, there's nothing really you can do about it except for just shake your head and say, "Why hasn't people learned?" You know, it's you can't you can't you can't blame the electorate for not being that well educated. We've had BNP in in Europe before, so it's it will just be that and potentially potentially you won't get what I don't think you'll get the I don't think you'll get the 2014 turnout I think that mm. if the conservative party are full on leave then I think they'll pick up a lot of those votes where before it was it was you know people complaining I well, I don't know also, it could quite easily go the other way and also
0: I'm si- <laughs> sorry, sorry i also I'm, I'm really annoyed I'm sick of people underestimating remain votes the remain how strongly people feel about Uh, You know, equally strongly, but in the other direction.
1: Well, yeah, because if there's no, uh, you know, in lieu of a people's vote, this this would be sort of Remain's first chance since 2017 to kind of really express their view at the ballot box. So to see
2: a huge swing towards liberal democrats, for instance, or the Greens, Um, you know, the parties that are openly pro-European. What I don't know, and I haven't looked into, but I suspect if there's political will, there is a technical way of doing is whether the European uh, uh, Commission can find some technical way to extend the life of the current MEPs, so to extend their term and have them as a sort of annex to the, to the European Parliament. If we're talking only about six months, if we're talking about mm. an o- overlap of three months, they could say, look, you get to keep your current MEPs. They do instead of a five-year term, they do a five-year and six-month term. Just to cover that overlap,
3: I think this has been looked into. Right. Okay. <laughs> I don't Go think on. it's happening. That's all. Um, oh. It's yeah. It's it, it. comes down to our sovereignty in the end of how we do this, rather than how they do it. So I think it's okay. it, it. It. Yeah. I don't think this is. I don't think it's within their power to do that.
2: But if the UK agreed it as part of an extension, you know, as as part of the the agreement where they say we agree to extend I, this, if you agree not to put, you know, an a, 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 a a new however many MEPs into into Parliament
1: for just three months.
3: Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you where it's written. If, it was in, if it's in the treaty, then naturally then uh, it's, it's a little bit harder than uh, that. Am also.
1: I wrong to be quite excited about the possibility of a European election campaign as like no, a kind of a, a sort baronetal. of litmus test yeah. of sort of, of turnout? Yeah. No, I mean you know each
2: to their fetishes. (laughs) (laughs) Go give yourself an executive upgrade. Just (laughs) (laughs) go do something, wouldn't it? You know,
1: dress up in your blue and gold march in there. Nice. Anyway, Amendment F is good old Amendment Jedi Dominic Grieve. This uh, provides for weekly debates on Brexit, which are amendable, so you can add conditions. Um, It essentially gives the power back to the Commons to amend policy as we go. now, obviously, um, some Brexiters think that, the, uh, that it's appalling that the commons are taking back control and it should be <laughs> the people that are taking back control. <laughs> Such um, an
2: interesting concept, concept, constitutionally. Yes. The House of Commons is the people yes. in our setup. There, there is absolutely no division between the
1: two. They are literally the people in our... In our if you want to talk uh, about e- politics and history and things like that, yeah. then yes. Uh, well,
2: no, but <laughs> if you just want
1: to be, like, angry on Twitter... <laughs> uh, uh, sure, then, sure, you know. which I love being, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it is just constitutionally
2: <laughs> illiterate and practically nonsense because, actually, the 650 people elected personally to represent their constituencies at the moment have a fresher mandate than the referendum. So <laughs> they were elected after the yeah. referendum, specifically and explicitly to represent people
3: in all things Brexit. As, as far as I'm concerned, democratically, Bre- you could argue Brexit's dead, constitutionally. The, the, people, the people said, yes, OK, you can have this referendum. Yes, OK, this is what we want. Yes, go ahead and implement it, even though actually we didn't say that one. And then they implemented it, and then we said, no. That's, that's really constitutionally what's happened yeah. here. Um, so th- you can say that there's the Conservative manifesto, that's that's in the way there, but actually, as far as the referendum is concerned, constitutionally, I think we're dead. It's over. Agreed, not. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, just just letting everyone know at home. Constitutionally, it's constitutionally. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what could be the what are the likely consequences of the uh, latest Grieve amendment then, if it if it passes? I don't
2: uh, know. He's a very interesting character, isn't he? I think he's played a really good game, with the exception of one thing. Like the first time, yeah, literally, yeah. where he had the chance, May pulled the wool over his eyes, promised him something, and then literally immediately went back. On but it.
1: like Luke Goss in the Bros documentary, <laughs> yes. he's like twice bitten, uh, a little uh, bit. No, 20 times bitten, a little bit shy. A line. little bit shy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, uh, uh, and since then, Grieve has
2: been a relentless. He's uh, sort of legislatively, he's been the Terminator. Um, he just keeps going. And, and I suspect even uh, sort of one minute to 11 on the 29th of March, this middle finger will rise from a pool of lava and it will be Dominic Grieve.
1: But he's like the parliamentary version of one of those sort of genius hackers in a movie. Where they're just like we can't, you know, the the clock's ticking. We can't possibly get into the system. And he just goes. tip-dee-tap-tap-tap-tap-tap-tap-tap-tap-tap-tap. We, like, yeah. we need a montage. Yeah, we need a Dominic Grieve montage. <laughs> the amender, just
2: training just, with yeah. papers and pencils.
0: Uh, just to cl- so to clarify, Dominic Grieve's amendment allows for debate to happen on t- for for the, for for Parliament to decide on the on the what is going to be deb- debated on every given day, rather than the government. To set the topics, it uh, gives for them, debate, I think, control. one day a week. One day a week, I think. There are a few if specified the, days on that. Yeah,
2: there. and and there are some strange stipulations that there have to be X number of people, and they have to come from X number of parties, mm. and they have to include a certain number of conservatives. It, it, it's really complicated, but effectively, as long as there are enough people that wanted, it, it gives them uh, one day a week
1: debate whatever Brexit options they want to.
3: You know. It has to be six full days apparently.
1: Okay. Amendment A from Corbyn is significant because it brings a people's vote closer. The government must allow the Commons to vote on different options to avoid leaving the EU without a deal. These could include Labour's softer Brexit and a new poll. But the people could only vote on something the Commons had already agreed on. Uh, again, question, is uh, Is this likely to pass? What do you Apparently
3: think? not. Apparently not. So that's what I've read. That's what I've got written. From <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what do you think? Yeah. No. Uh, apparently, this isn't popular. So there's a lot of support for the others, um, and mm. and and not this one. Um, uh, I'm not sure why, but um, yeah. Apparently, it's going to be struggling struggling to get through.
0: Well, it's been interesting because I I read uh, that um, some of the Labour frontbenchers have have sort of had a word with the uh, leader of the opposition's office, saying, "Look, if you try and Push through a, a, a second uh, referendum. I'm, we're not happy about that. Actually, the sort of overwhelming support for a, uh, a people's vote amongst the Labour Party backbenchers is not is not a given. And mm. um, there have been some very sensible voices. I think people, at like least, Nandi have been consistently, I found, very reasonable in, in debates that I've I've seen her in, um, and Stella Creasy talking about the alternative of a citizens' assembly, which I've been reading about this morning and. Mm. The more I read about it, the more I like it. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know whether that amendment from Labour is, is as popular or would go through.
1: Well, Stephen Bush at the New Statesman points out that the people's, a people's vote needs enough Tory rebels to cancel out Labour's referendum opponents plus seven. And he calculates that that now stands at about 30 because he's counted about 20, at least 23 mm. Labour opponents. Mm-hmm. So he reckons that its only chance is to be the last option standing and therefore that that chance could be blown if it goes up for a vote and is too rejected early. too early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, that does align with my sense that basically everything else would need to be exhausted before people come round he,
2: to it. He's right in a way, it's what we are saying before, that the order in which uh, options are presented is, is critical. Where he's wrong is that there's nothing to prevent Parliament from introducing some different motion in the future also around a people's vote. It's not a one shot and then you're done thing. Um what I what I've sensed to do with all these motions for for quite a few months is that the the official the the, the official opposition putting forward something is a is the kiss of death for it. It needs cross party support and therefore it must move from cross party Bank ben- backbenches, that gives it a much better chance.
0: And also, more important, and, and more importantly, uh, not just Remainers pr- proposing it. And at the moment, there aren't enough uh, Brexiteers or people who voted to leave backing a second referendum, backing mm. a people's vote. Well, Which, uh, would it's the messengers that are important here. And so the opposition, that's fair enough, but if it's just Remainers gunning for it, it's not going to fly. I can't see how it would. Um, but so- why
1: would... Under what
0: circumstances
1: do you think the Brexiters would support a second referendum? That,
0: Well, I don't know, but that's, that's the key. Would there be a situation if. I, I don't know that they would, and that's the problem. For, As for, in, or, well, I yeah. can yeah. imagine of one scenario. Yeah, like, if
2: if yeah. Parliament swung behind a much softer Brexit deal, yeah. Yeah. then they might actually support a referendum with all three options a, a soft Brexit, no deal, or no Brexit. But
0: you, yeah but then i mean i get it then we sit second vote people's vote territory and and no i don't think you can have no deal i mean we've probably talked about this or you've probably talked about this when i haven't been here but i but yeah i'm increasingly i'm increasingly worried about a a, you've got the a people's second vote referendum in i words. really have no i and i'm with good reason i think um <laughs> oh i agree i mean it's, it's it's yeah it's it's one of those things that i i've had to question you know if i don't believe in referendums i can't i can't then be on the side of another referendum. Look,
2: I, I, I agree generally, but <laughs> I disagree specifically because the reason we're in this situation is a referendum. Right. And it feels oh, instinctively like the only way to cancel it out is another referendum yeah. in, in in terms of just balancing it out. Um, whether, <laughs> whether it will happen or not, Corbyn's plan in general reminds me, do you remember the underpants gnomes from South Park where you know where they go our plan is to make profit by collecting underpants and then they (laughs) present their plan and it's like Collect underpants, (laughs) then a big question mark, and then profit. (laughs) (laughs) And to me, the people who say, let's have an election (laughs) because that will sort Brexit out are a little bit like the underpants gnomes in that they assume if there is an election, Labour will win it and that then Labour will swing behind a remaining option. Neither of those things uh, stands
1: up to any scrutiny
0: as
2: far as I can see. uh,
1: There's two more. Amendments from the labor benches uh, there's Hilary Benz for indicative votes on all the various options, including Canada and Norway and Stella Creasy's uh, for a citizens' assembly
3: well, Steve, Steve takes uh, away so yeah, I mean coming back to the um, the idea that we 're going to debate this and this is going to this going to solve it i don't know i don't see how the dominant group's going to work i don't think that this this is some things going to work because um, for every, for we're going to have an expert panel, but there's going to be arguments about who's on that expert panel because we know out of every hundred experts, there's one complete weirdo, and we know damn well that they're going to want that expert weirdo on the panel. there we're going to have experts, one expert saying one thing, another expert saying another. The people completely entrenched in their views, and I just don't see anything good coming out of this. If we'd done this two years ago, mm. where before everybody suddenly got entrenched, I think we might have had a better chance. But now it's like um, I don't see, I don't see the, I don't say see a whole bunch of citizens sitting in Parliament saying, I oh, know, let's give it to some other citizens and get the answer from them, is going to help.
0: But I, you're specifically talking about Citizens Assembly and how that would look. Yes. If you lock people in a room, and as they did in Ireland, they did it over five months, I think, every weekend for five months. It was a long time. There were 100 people chosen uh, and they had experts but they had so m- it was so much time given to them and so many experts from so many different sides of the, of, of, of the debate and they came to a very sensible conclusion. And the, the point is, what is the other option? Because because they were, they were made to sit in a room and learn about every single aspect of, of, well, that was, you know, the the anti-abortion laws. But this is the, the only way we're going to, because that, that's my problem with the people's vote. You, Talking, you're saying, you know, we, next time we'd have to make sure that they had the right information. How would we do that? Yeah. How would we go into their homes, make them sit in front of a document and say, you have to read this? Whereas a citizen assembly you are literally forcing people to stay in a room for, any, for an indeterminate length of time and, and talk through everything with them. That I've seems think, to be far more sensitive. I was sensible. thinking there's
1: a recently the best liberative process that I've ever been involved with was when I did jury service where you all have to sort of sit in a room yeah. and I think it started quite evenly split. Um, and we ended up with, with a decision because you had to have a decision. Exactly. And obviously, people want to go home at some point as well, which is a powerful incentive. <laughs> and it did just make me think, oh, it is possible for humans to do of this. Course. I don't know if it's possible for humans to do this with Brexit, but it happens all the time in the legal system is that people just sit there. and Everybody gets heard and everybody's got all the information. And so I suppose that creates a perhaps slightly utopian sense of what a citizens' assembly could do. But I th- that-
0: I sorry, see, I was going to say sorry. I'll let you. Continue. I was going to say it's, it's ten guess. weeks. The, yeah. the, the
1: amendment says ten weeks. Um, and I, I
3: know I, I actually now you're talking about it, I actually like actually that sounds a lot better than my initial reaction, <laughs> which was we're going to stick some people in the room to talk about it, and it's and we're not going to get anywhere. We could end up having a war in there, though.
2: That's of
0: course, <laughs> of course, inevitably,
3: we could stick Nadine Dorries
2: in a room and make her learn everything
0: well but that's the what you have to sit you have to control you have to control the information that you're giving to people in in a fair way and so but you can't do that question. if there's a referendum it will because inevitably it will but yeah. but, the, but there is no other way of, there is no other way of doing it you you have just have to be as as un, you know otherwise what's the alternative yeah i'm, I'm a lot more um, sold on this than I was before good. you. um yeah one
1: innovative Brexster MP knew how to break the deadlock. Daniel Kaczynski formally asked the Polish government to veto any extension of Article 50, and the <laughs> Polish government formally told him to do one. Uh, so this, this is kind of like a fresh solution to, uh, <laughs> to, give to himself, a problem of national sovereignty. Is give to just, yourself an executive upgrade, Daniel. <laughs> just, uh, just ask a foreign government to uh, decide things for you.
2: Yeah, I, I loved Ian Dunn's take in their Patreon column this week that said, it's not exactly treason, but it's wearing treason's clothes and showing its photo to the hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that really made me laugh. That's very funny.
3: Yeah. Um, I was disgusted they didn't say, well, if, if it comes to Shrewsbury, Shrew- we, won't, we won't allow Shrewsbury back into the EU, <laughs> but everyone else is <laughs> fine.
0: <laughs> the arrogance. So, Sorry, the arrogance to do that. To go, I'm going to bloody do that on my own. I'm going to bloody tweet about it because there are no consequences (laughs) to my actions. You can
1: imagine almost doing it but not not, not tweeting tweeting about it. it.
0: But I don't know,
1: man. And somehow take advantage
2: of my EU27 heritage to put pressure on the country from which I came Mm. to do something against the country in which I am now.
0: It's extraordinary. Yeah.
1: Before we move on, one of the biggest problems uh, for the People's Vote campaign is that leavers seem uh, increasingly keen on no deal. John Harris wrote a good piece about how this was Britain's punk spirit in action. Get pissed, destroy, <laughs> which uh, works better in a three-minute rock song. Vincent O'Toole makes a similar point in his excellent book Heroic Failure. And we're dealing with a very sort of stubborn, perverse, really sort of anarchistic aspect of British, specifically English identity, um, which is stronger than, than, than I imagined. Is there anything that we is there anything we can do about that, or is is it one of those things that because it comes from this quite irrational part of the national psyche that the more that you try and counteract it, the stronger it gets? I think it's um I think it's pushback. I think
3: it's the the fact is that we're the 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 brexiteers have been in not an echo chamber an echo funnel which is taking them in one direction, and the fact is that as it's as Brexit is slowly unfolding, they're they're reaching out to the to the one thing that they can they can do, and and that's this. And this is basically, oh, well, OK, that doesn't work, but we definitely want this. And we, we are willing to take anything and accept anything and believe everything. Um, and I think you've got a, a group of politicians now that I think are quite happy that they've got this big following and they can do what they want. You know, they can say, oh, well, let's, let's sell our animal welfare rights down. And there's a whole bunch of leaders going, yeah, well, actually, yeah, we didn't really want the the welfare things when we voted for Brexit. And, and I think that's where we're going now. I think we've got we're, we're following a path that Brexit is taking us to where this is, the,
1: this is the only... This is the, the gold at the end of the rainbow. Well, because Liam Fox was on today this morning, and Nick Rumson I thought, was doing, doing a good sort of tough interview. Yeah, he was actually, going, are was you, good. Are you sort of literally saying that you, would, you, you would, that you think people would rather be poorer than to postpone this, to push this deadline back and just take a few more months to decide? And obviously, he kind of swerved it, but that was the logic of what he was saying, which is just, in, in a pre-Brexit political climate... If that so like, proposition was put forward, it would seem completely insane and political suicide. Which is why it wasn't. And that's quite an important thing. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, why the,
2: the idea of no deal was never, ever discussed before the referendum. And whenever it was raised, it was dismissed as fear-mongering. Um, and, and I think it's quite significant now that you have a, a huge percentage of people who voted Leave claiming this is what they voted for you know, it's a, it's a complete cognitive bias sunk cost. Yesterday's fallacy. project fear is today's project fun. Uh, absolutely. When in the polls immediately after the referendum, something like 70 odd percent of people thought we would move into a Norway situation, including a majority of leavers thought we would move into it, because 4852 kind of screams that, but now, you know, everyone knew what they were voting for, and apparently what they were voting for was to set ourselves on fire. Yeah, no
3: deal. It's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, uh, but, I mean, the people are saying, oh, you know, talking about compromise between remainers and norway and it's just like no this is not a compromise because i voted against this this is this is literally the opposite of, of, of what i'm doing this isn't compromise it's the common sense thing i why am i having to it's to say why am i having lost this vote why am i now looking at people saying we should do the non-common sense
1: thing because the, well the because the, the overton window is now a burning portal to hell yeah exactly <laughs> And they're just, presents, and so they're they just presenting. they're presenting something that you. Down it. This is the compromise. It's like no, that was what <laughs> that was originally what you said you wanted. Now yeah,
3: it's a yeah. compromise. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, people start talking about why can't Remainers compromise? It's not a compromise. <laughs> why can't well, Leavers compromise on what they voted for?
2: Someone from the E.R.G. was, was asked uh, on BBC News, what, "So what? What are you offering as a compromise?" And they said, "Well, we're willing to compromise on the thirty-nine billion that we've agreed to pay." And it's okay. like. That's not a compromise. That's already in the bloody agreement. We've agreed to
1: pay that. How is that a compromise? Yeah. This week's Romaniacs comes to you with the help of our friends at Everymatic, the boutique Greek travel agency that everyone can afford. We're big fans of Greece on the podcast, uh, not just because Alex comes from there, or despite the fact that Alex comes from there. (laughs) And it's the best place to immerse yourself in thousands of years of culture and get thoroughly baked on a stunning beach as well. Everymatic are local experts who know the islands inside out. Whatever your budget, they'll build a holiday that's perfect for you because boutique travel shouldn't just be for the 1%. Whether you want incredible food or inspiring culture or the best beaches in Europe, tell our friend Alex, not that one, at Everymatic what you're looking for. She'll sort you out. And remember, you won't need a visa to visit Europe even if no deal happens, so there's that at least. Drop her a line at alex at everymatic.com, tell her Romaniac sent you, and send us a postcard. We've been hearing throughout the show the mysterious Steve Analyst is our guest today. Steve tweet says "Emperor's News." That's Emperor with an O. Um, was that was that a, was that is that a mistake or that a was, cunning in joke?
3: That in-joke? was that was, a, that was a, an in joke because the, the the proper spelling was already taken. So, <laughs> so <laughs> the joke wouldn't be there if uh, if the account hadn't been taken. that's all. Oh damn!
1: I bet you've got more followers though, right? Than the original. Oh, I do now, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I never hear from emperors. No, 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 no. But
3: um, yeah, it, it just, it did when um, what was the comedian's name that did an emperor's new clothes, um, thing. We went into politics. Um, and yeah, I, I, I suddenly found a lot of people also couldn't spell
1: emperor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, your Hello Britain, it's the United States, we need to talk thread was, was much shared because it listed all the ways Britain created the EU regulations we now supposedly uh, want out of. Um, w- did that come, you said earlier that it was that thread that kind of started you on the road to remain a celebrity. Um, was, it, did, was it born out of frustration that, that, of just how much this was misunderstood? Um so it, what happened was that um
3: I sort of stopped I uh, there was a uh, there was a few angry tweeting after the referendum I was not happy and then I, and then I left it and I was I was sort of quiet um and then this sort of single market argument came up and there was some very weird things said um and then I was sort of not really doing anything and then the election came and it was nearly a hung parliament and I, and 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 suddenly I thought okay well I'm going to return to this and start tweeting some stuff and I thought oh let's just start tweeting some stuff so let's start tweeting some threads it wasn't really meant to be. I wasn't expecting to blow it out of the park or do anything. I was just, you know, I had like a thousand, two thousand followers or something. I was pushing to, um, and I was just sort of happy to sit there and, and just write some some facts together, like I had done during the referendum. And uh, and then sort of I, I got through, and then I I started searching through the manifestos and finding stuff I didn't know while <laughs> I was writing it. And I thought, okay, well let's just stick those in. And then I just posted it. And I wasn't really. I thought that'll get that. That's a good thread. I'll get me two hundred followers. When I posted it, 6,000, I think. (laughs) But uh, I wasn't expecting it. It was sort of a big surprise for me. It wasn't like... It wasn't a big thing when I posted it. It was just something... I I knew some of it, some of the stuff i just noticed, and I didn't really realise the significance of just how much... You know, it was the entire vote-leave thing, you know.
0: It shows you how hungry people are for facts. Uh, You know, this whole Brexit process, the the people, the sort of superstars... (laughs) on Twitter that sort of suddenly got 100,000 followers are lawyers and uh, sort of, you know, policy experts and mm. not the people that they were uh, pre-Brexit. It's a very odd world we're in at the moment.
1: Do you think, because you do a lot of very sort of forensic stuff with these threads, do you think that that sort of thing is not being done sufficiently uh, well by mainstream journalism? Yes. Or or <laughs> is the format, is it just the Twitter format seems to get more attention i think it's true for well i've
3: tried to write i've tried to write for um newspapers and i it's it's a very different writing and i find that i lose so much stuff when i do it so there's some very specific sort of fact-based thing that i can do in twitter that i can't seem to do in or at least if i do it in if i do it and i post it nobody's interested so it's but in terms of like the television in terms of the radio they they, they have so much we are we are being um, cheated of information the way that they do this, they just bring two people in let's let's argue this out and and not actually just say, look these are, these are the facts these are, these are the established things that we definitely know, and then whatever opinion wants to go on those, fine, but we're, we're not going to stray away from that um, and yeah, so I think that
1: mainstream media is really letting the public down because there's received wisdom in the media of course it's just like people don't want something that's so sort of fact dense and they're not going to read it. And yet you see these kind of long threads. I remember when threading really sort of took off, and I was like, this, what, this isn't how Twitter was meant to work. You know, what's going on here? You're 30 like, threads, You know, full of sort of facts and information. And then they would get thousands of likes and retweets. And you were like, well, here is just proof that a significant number of people sort of craved that. And yet still, I think in a newspaper format, certainly on kind of radio, there is this assumption that just like, well, no one's going to be interested in them. Hmm.
3: Yeah, but I, it depends. I mean, what it, I mean, Hello the United Kingdom showed something that no one had seen. You know, no one's seen just exactly the extent of which there had been a connection between the electorate and the politicians, and what was going on in the EU. No, nobody, nobody. I think nobody knew that. I didn't know that when I wrote the thing. You know, so um, if you can show something that people haven't seen before, I think that that's that's always the the gold one for me. If there's something, you know, you can put thumbs together and say, no one's. This is a picture of this of what's going on. From an angle that no one's no one has shown it from before, that's that's a very, very good one. But also of a pattern, because to me, what's different
2: about your threads and why I enjoy them is that instead of picking out one thing, they pick out a pattern of things. And I think that's what news is really bad at doing. You know, they were interviewing people today on Dyson, sort of upping sticks and leaving. And you have in the last week, Panasonic, Sony, Philips, Bentley, uh, Toshiba, uh, you, you know, you have all these companies that are doing exactly the same. And no one put the equivalent of a thread to one of their guests saying, you can dismiss this one company that it had other reasons. But why are seven of them in the last week leaving the UK for, you know, the Netherlands or Singapore? The, the pattern is much more difficult to dismiss, and I think that's where threads become incredibly useful. To me, uh, at least, I don't think they're useful to everyone.
1: Now, some some would say that Twitter is a, a kind of toxic hellhole filled with charlatans and Nazis. Um, <laughs> but it seems like the kind of stuff that you do, which is almost a sort of, uh, you know, almost a sort of citizen journalism, is using the form in a really kind of good way, Do you think that it's possible when talking about Brexit on Twitter to just um, to sort of concentrate on informing an actual interested debate? Like how many angry, how much time do you have to spend, you know, fending off uh, angry Brexiters? Or is it or do you just sort of almost just, you know, ignore that? I think I spent
3: a lot more time on it last year than I did this year. This year (laughs) year I came back and thought, you know, I'm going to spend less time on Twitter. And more time writing for Twitter, mm. um, because you can get you can get caught in them. Um, normally, normally if I, you can you can think, oh, I can just bash this away with one tweet, and then find out that you can't, and you're like, oh, no, I can't walk away from this now. Um, so it, it, I tend to avoid engaging unless I can think of something which I think will effectively put stop them in their tracks. Unfortunately, sometimes it just doesn't. You know. Uh,
1: and who do you think is doing similar work? Who are the who are the who is the Steve Analyst Steve Analyst that oh, yeah. uh, you recommend people follow?
3: Does what I do. Uh, uh, David Hennig does some very good stuff on trade. Holger Hestermeyer does it um, on law and trade. Uh, Steve Bullock does it on EU and negotiating. Um, that's guitar moog. Hmm. Uh, Simon Stylite does it on the parliamentary process, I guess is probably his strongest point. Um, yeah, the, I mean, I, I essentially, I keep very close eye on what David Hennig does. Um largely because I have to make sure he's not doing what i'm doing, and also i have to learn from him you know there, yeah. there there's uh i i I was working in trade at a certain level where I was looking at stuff and working out whether or not we buy or sell or whether or not what we can do with the margins um i am now working in an area of trade I've never worked with before, so um some of it is quite easy to get hold of, and some of it you actually need experts so last year i was I was starting to run dry bex coats. Um, who wrote that article last year? Um, Being nice is the, ne- is the new punk. I don't know mm. if you've read it. She got. She introduced me to some people that are now, are now allowing me to, to sort of find the areas where you have to know. You have to have the practical. Just reading, just reading the theory isn't enough. I mean, I'm looking at something now where it's like, uh, so what happens in Rotterdam? You know, ha- actually, you know, and mm. finding out the information of the process of Rotterdam, I, you know, is actually quite hard unless you speak to some trade people that have been there and say, yes, okay, so we can answer your question.
1: And do you ever, do, are you followed by any people whose job it is to actually uh, enact Brexit? Do you see, do, do I you see Brexit been. ministers popping up and
3: I liking them? <laughs> I have been. I'm not sure I am at the moment. I think that there was, there was somebody, I can't remember who it was, who was following me who resigned... <laughs> well that could that could be that many could be, people, <laughs> couldn't it? That could be that, that doesn't necessarily mean it was my threads that made him resign. <laughs> I'm just saying there was there um, Maybe just read it going, Oh shit. <laughs> what a uh, is it
0: <laughs> I don't
1: know if there is now. Finally, uh easy question. Um what do you think is the is the is the most likely uh outcome at the moment with things as they stand, where are you which do you think because I think the problem we've got is this just kind of Medusa's kind of head of options.
3: I think the withdrawal agreement is probably the likely outcome of this because it's it's actually... It's 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 terrible, but it's also common sense in terms of it's the only way forward other than stopping and saying, OK, should we do this again? Yep. Hmm. Yeah, in, in terms of the fact that no, there's, there just does not seem to be enough inertia that will make people stop and say, OK, we need to rethink this, even though logically we should, you know... Just, that, that just doesn't seem to be on the cards, and so I think the withdrawal agreement is really the only way forward. It's, the only, it's, it's a compromise that's, that some levers have jumped on. It's, you know, this wasn't a like nobody touched this. You know, there were people like Michael Gove that jumped on this. Um, it actually, if you re, if you go and look at the Dominic Cummings uh, Treasury Select Committee, he practically describes it. He talks about having no services in the deal and having goods in the deal, which you know it's just like this is this is all starting to sound quite similar. Um, so you see, Michael, go supporting it, and I, I can see, I can see that this is the only way forward.
1: So historic defeat could turn into a victory in quite a short space of time. Well, no, it, it could didn't. turn into historic defeat. Well, yeah, it could be. Yeah,
2: uh, <laughs> just the parliament endorsed historic defeat.
1: No, but historic defeat for oh, right. the government. Oh yes, yes. No. I mean, yeah. it
2: could turn into historic defeat for the country. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yay!
1: The end of the show. Uh, is coming up, so we're going to put one more thing in the Brexit time capsule. Steve Analyst, you're our guest. Uh, what's going into the uh, hall of things we'll miss or need if Brexit goes ahead? So I was thinking about this, um, and it was a tough
3: one. Uh, I thought maybe Scotland. Um, <laughs> uh, going over yeah. 10 miles an hour in Kent. Uh, I, 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 and <laughs> on a, 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 a serious answer, I think we're going to miss uh, European signs saying where government funding goes. Because um, if people can't see that, which and we just... Fund things. Then basically, the same areas that felt like there was no funding coming to them are going to be worse. They're going to think that there's the government funding stuff in their areas in the north and you know in the northeast, but they won't see it. There'll be no, there'll be no signs saying this this is money that's coming from somewhere, um, which means that what's going to happen is that people are, are going to feel that they're not getting any money. It's all going to London again, um, and that Brexit was a complete waste of time. And and I think we're going to miss knowing that. There are, there is money coming from a government to go and help people, because I think that that's necessary, and that, and that's what I think we'll miss. I think that, that I, there's other stuff that obviously we'll miss, like freedom movement or whatever. Mm. But but if you, if you want a, a technical answer, I think that knowing where on knowing that money is going somewhere in our region is actually quite a useful
1: thing, and and we are going to miss that. For our closing foreign language clip, we ask for a bit of Polish, and you, the listeners, delivered. Here is Mark Koszvara with what he says is a curse long cherished by my family.
2: Co wy robicie? Brexit zostawi wielką pytanie. Dzurą zabitą te hamie. Ci psy dupami szczekają. Ruszy tam zdory i łączymy się
3: znowu w solidarnością z naszą Unią Europejską. Dziękuję.
1: What are you doing, says Mark? Brexit will leave the United Kingdom a hole boarded up with old planks where dogs bark out of their arses. <laughs> Chuck this garbage and join us once again in solidarity with our European Union. Well put, Mark. You can send your sign-offs in any European language at info Keep them relatively short. Don't have to be clean, as we've just seen. And we'll use the best ones. And that's the end of the show. Steve Analyst, thanks for coming on the show. Um, how will you be dealing with the stress of the coming week? I'm feeling do you know what I'm feeling
3: less stressed than I was at the end of last year I've, I've had a nice Christmas holiday and, I've, <laughs> and I'm just, just ready to go and I've just said I'm staying off Twitter apart from when I'm writing so uh, actually it's all just got a lot easier
0: <laughs> nice that's alright for some it? <laughs> it'll suck you back <laughs> in when yeah. you continue.
1: thanks for coming in thanks to the uh, considerably more stressed Ingrid, Alex and producer Alex Rees don't forget those last few Romaniacs live tickets at leicestersquaretheatre.com here's our theme tune Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop and the traditional thanks to some of our latest Patreon backers
0: And it's hello from me to Martin Back, Adrian Mason, Sean Schneider, Richard Miller, Alexandro and Matt Sawyer.
2: And thanks from me to Chris Jiggins, Ben King, Callum Campbell, Joe
1: Dud, Michael Ingleston, Tony Lewis and Nick Wimster. Finally, thanks for me to Brian Snellgrove, Oliver Thoreau, Susie Crawford, Martin Ridgeway, Peter Heller, possibly the great house DJ, I hope, Jeremy Millington, and Stu Marshall. Thanks to all. We'll see you next week. Romaniacs was presented by Dorian Linsky with Ingrid Oliver and Alex Andre. The producer is Andrew Harrison, and audio production was by me, Alex Rees. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production
3: escajone